Welcome to episode two of the Computer Business Marketing Show. Today's show is brought to you by TechSite Builder. TechSite Builder is a hosted website builder that allows you to quickly and easily get a clean and professional website up and running for your computer or tech-focused business. Save time and frustration with TechSite Builder. Learn more at TechSiteBuilder.com. And also by the DC Unconvention 2017, the second annual conference for IT business owners. Learn from fellow techs and business owners, get business strategies that work in the real world, and discover new tech. Learn more at unconvention.io. On today's show, we have guest David Sims on to talk about marketing your technology compliance services, things like HIPAA, PCI, and FINRA. How do you find clients that need these type of services and how do you get them to buy in to the need to be compliant? Also, Paco recaps the Channel Pro event he attended and I talk about the new email marketing platform that I'm using. Stick around for all that and so much more starting right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Computer Business Marketing Show. If you own or work in an IT services business, this is the place to learn how to get more clients, keep them happy, and grow your revenue. You can watch, download, and or subscribe to all show episodes at computerbusinessmarketing.com. You can also catch our live stream on Facebook every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just be sure to like the TechSite Builder Facebook page and click on the following tab and then select see first so that the live stream will jump to the top of your feed. All right, guys, today we have uh, a guest joining us. Uh, that guest is David Sims of uh, HIPAA for MSPs. Um, he is going to talk to us about uh, marketing your compliance uh, services. Um, so, you know, what is the best approach to uh, finding clients and then marketing to them if you are trying to push services around compliance, whether that's HIPAA or PCI or FINRA or some of those other acronyms that we all enjoy so much. Uh, before we jump into that, uh, we are going to just kind of uh, talk to uh, Paco, see how uh, Paco, our co-host, is doing and what he's been up to lately. So what's been going on, Paco? Not a whole lot. No, kidding, kidding. Um, quite a bit. So as I mentioned on the last episode, um, my nonprofit that I was sitting on had their gala slash summit um, Thursday and Friday. It was a really good turnout. A lot of people there, a lot of resources, great food, um, really good time around. So a lot of my time had been spent on that for the past uh, week, just preparing for that type of stuff. And then this past or yesterday, I should say, uh, me and a couple of fellows from the Podnuts slash uh, YFNCG community all went to the Channel Pro convention over in Rosemont. So uh, Tom Wilmot, who's in the uh, chat now, uh, Joe Nozanovich, I believe that's his last name. If not, sorry, Joe, I butchered your last name. Uh, Jerry Bransfield, uh, Andy, uh, Andres Kiros, uh, John, and none other than John Dubinsky. Uh, we all just went over there, had a real good time, a lot of great info. Um, and it was really cool how this year they really dived into the hopings and the understandings of an MSP, which I know Je- Jeff Hallis just threw up in his mouth right now. Um, but essentially for how to really understand managed services, how to create add-ons and good cash flow coming in. And there was a lot of talk of HIPAA compliance, um, really doing understanding of uh, marketing those type of compliance efforts or security efforts for a uh, business as an add-on revenue. 
Um, and VoIP at uh, Telecom was really a big thing too, really understanding that there are opportunities that other vendors have, like so copiers, printers, services, managed print services, things like that, that can be adopted by a managed service provider and being able to po- kind of put that all in one house and just kind of reselling or rechanneling all that effort uh, moving forward. So it was a lot of great info, a lot of great tips, um, a lot of great vendors. There were some vendors there that I didn't know really did a lot of the stuff that uh, that they had there. So um, it was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those where, you know, if you didn't admit, if you didn't catch the one in Chicago, there's definitely two others that are uh, coming out in the remainder of the year. So how, how do those events um how are they? Or is it just, is it just a one day thing? It's a one day thing. So basically it's how they have it organized is there's four main sessions that are about 35 to 45 minutes. And then in between those, there are 10 minute spots of vendors providing some type of value keynote slash what does their business do for you? So um, a lot of those were very interesting. Like there was one, um, uh, the lady's name was Carrie Simpson and she's out in Canada and she actually runs a, uh, one of the things that she does is a cold calling service for a designated target market that you let them know to do. So that's one of the ones that I thought was really cool because, you know, I just don't have the time to do everything. So that was something to look into, see what the opportunities that, you know, she and her company may have. Um, there were other, a lot of other vendors that were local to me that I use some of those that are out of state. So I would find a better advantage of using some of these um, and really getting a good partnership going. Because that was really the message of the entire show was making relationships, uh, making partnerships so that not only is your bottom line going to grow, but you also grow along with helping a local vendor, helping you out in the local market. You know, I, I like that. uh that that cold calling service is that is that something that, that we could put in the show notes for folks to check out? Yeah, absolutely. Out that, yeah, it's a, a yeah. coldcalls.ca is her website. Um, I okay. actually just connected with her on LinkedIn, but um, I plan to uh, give her a call, kind of just see how the whole thing works. But she has other businesses as well for those that are not the one man shops and actually have repair shops or a little bit bigger. Sounds like she kind of does the whole gambit of things. Um, yeah. From when she was speaking on one of the panels there. Um, but again, I'm, I haven't found out too much about it, but I just found it tr- intriguing that, you know, there is a service out there that can help with the lead generation while you improve your sales presentation and your, I'm sorry, your sales process and your presentation process on closing that deal. Cool. I like that. Yeah, that's great. And cause that's, that's something a lot of us either don't have time for, or just don't enjoy doing, um, as far as, you know, the aspect of the business that. It, it's it's effective. It can be effective, and it, I think that would be great to outsource that that piece of it. So that's that's cool. I'm going to look into that myself. Actually, cool. So yeah, that was uh you know that's a big gist of that. Um, and yeah, so they'll probably I'll probably have more details as I start kind of really immerse in all the information that I went over. So and then we'll kind of just go from there. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, so what I've been up to recently is. Uh, the big thing that I've been working on this week is uh, transferring over from uh, Aweber, which is what I used for my email marketing, to uh, another email provider. And so I took a, a lot of time to kind of research the different options that are out there. Um, you know, pr- price was a consideration, features were a consideration. 
and I had to kind of, you know, look at what, um, what features that I, that I needed for exactly what I was wanting to do. And what I ended up, um, I ended up landing on was active campaign. Uh, active campaign, uh, is, you know, again, an email marketing service. And what I like about active campaign is that, uh, it has kind of some built in CRM functions with it as well. So, uh, I like that I can have, you know, my email list on there and then I can keep track of a lot of different um, aspects of those, those, those clients. Um, it also has functionality where I can keep notes. So if I talk to the client, I can, you know, keep track of, of the conversations I've had with them. Um, I can also uh, set meetings and, and have time-based uh, events that happen uh, around those different clients. So there was the CRM portion, and then there's also, you know, it has a very robust automation portion to it as well. So you can really get into, um, you know, assigning different activities and different actions based around the behavior and the actions that your users take. So like, for example, if I send out uh, an email with a video um, and then also like a link to, to read a transcript of the video, I can see, you know, who watched the video versus who clicked on the transcript. And then I can tag the video watchers as people who are, who like to watch videos and the, the, you know, the transcript people as the people who like, who prefer reading. And then using those tags in the future, I can only send, you know, video stuff to those guys who watch the video and only send uh, text-based stuff to the guys who um, clicked on the, uh, to, to read the transcript, you know, st- stuff like that. That's a very simplistic example um, but there's lots of that kind of thing available in Active Campaign. I'm still poking around and figuring out what it can do, but so far I'm I'm impressed and I've been having fun with it and I like it. Um, everything uh, is better than than Aweber, honestly. <laughs> the uh, the automation part is better. The uh, the the client list listing is better. Even the like the templates you can make for your emails that's a little bit better. So. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I love Aweber. It, it, it did the job for me for a long time, but I've definitely outgrown that. And uh, an active campaign seems to be a good uh, step up. Gotcha. So kind of highlighting on email platforms. I'm not sure if anyone has heard, but I actually use MailChimp. And uh, for those of you who use MailChimp as well, um, their automation uh, rules and, and, and uh, triggers and workflow at one point was on their paid platform and they actually announced a couple of days ago that it's now introduced into the free plan or the up to 2000 subscribers at no charge plan. So um, saw that a couple of days ago. So I don't know how, uh, for any of those who are using MailChimp um, for me, I thought that was a great uh, thing feature that they did because I hadn't really, I don't really take a much concentration on email marketing. Um, I try to, but you know, with so many avenues that my attention can go to, that kind of fell on the bottom of my radar. But with this being available, this helps out with a lot of the triggers and um, tripwire campaigns that I can develop, and the automation being included is going to really help out. So for those who are uh, basically on that platform, if you haven't heard, check out. They have a recent blog post, I believe, over on their site. And uh, just something to take advantage of as well for email marketing. Yeah, man. MailChimp is killing it. Uh, They, you know, I I was reading an article earlier today, actually, about the state of email marketing in 2017. And it's, um, I forget who put out the article, but they gathered data from a bunch of different sources. And MailChimp is definitely the dominant um, email marketing platform. 
um, like by a long shot. And they attribute that to the fact that they had this free tier for so long. Um, and it was a very powerful tier and you could do a right. lot on it. And, you know, up to a certain amount of subscribers, you could pretty much do anything you could on the paid version. And so with them releasing the automation to the free tier as well, I think they're just going to, they're, they're really going to, uh, you know, take it away uh, as far as being the, uh, the dominant um, player in email marketing. Yeah, I think they're, you know, and not to be a love fest for MailChimp, but essentially, you know, I, they really show that they care about their customers, whether they're on the paid platform or if they're on their, uh, you know, free slash up to 2000 subscribers at no charge plan. Um, you know, they even, I think one Christmas, they sent me a pair of socks with their logo on it, you know, mm-hmm. to actually send a physical item to, to a client that's not giving them a dime provides my loyalty to them. But also in the future, if once I need my needs grow, I definitely will be paying for their services as well. But I actually got something in the works. I'm hoping to have somebody from uh, MailChimp hopefully on the show. Um, I've actually con- uh, reached out to their marketing. Uh, I forgot what was it their director of marketing. We connected, so hopefully nice. I can get somebody to kind of represent and give a little bit more detail on uh, email marketing for us. Hey, David, who do you use for email? Uh, I use Get Response. Okay, but I did get something from MailChimp. they sent me a little uh a little monkey figurine one time oh nice yeah oh man what do i got to do to get a (laughs) (laughs) i used them briefly (laughs) like back way back in the day so i think i'm on their list somehow but i don't know okay cool (laughs) (laughs) all right um so uh Let's go ahead and before we jump into the the feature topic, then let's go ahead and uh, give a shout out to our first sponsor. And the first sponsor for the uh, Computer Business Marketing Show is TechSite Builder. Uh, TechSite Builder is the platform that you can use to create a website for your computer business quickly and easily. Uh, Get it up and running fast. uh, Make sure it's effective. Um, And we really try to, um, you know, make sure that the uh, effort is it's minimal on, on your part. Um, full disclosure, it is my company and it is a service that, that I work on and, and that I've built over the last few years. Um, something we just rolled out to TechSite Builder actually this week is a visual drag and drop page builder. So um, that's just still kind of trying to focus on making it easy for you to build the type of website that you want to. So with that page builder, we have a lot of cool new features um, that come with that, you know, stuff like uh, um, sliders and and um, and animations and 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 tabs and accordions, you know, all those cool little interactive things that you find on websites. Um, and what I've found uh, is that those kind of interactions on websites help to deepen the uh, the uh, engagement from people who are visiting your website. So uh, what, what I found with those types of things on websites is, you know, you want your important information upfront and easily accessible. So, you know, your, your UVP, your unique value proposition, your, your buy buttons and your contact information, you want that all right there above the fold, easy to access. But then for people who want to learn more about your business as they dig deeper into your website, I find it's helpful uh, to have some of those interactive things like, like tabs that you have to click on to find more information, or if you click on a button, it reveals some text. Stuff like that um, helps to keep people engaged. Uh, it improves your bounce rate, um, and it just kind of helps people, you know, interact with your brand more, and that just deepens that connection to your your business. And so that was kind of the the focus with this new rollout of the page builder was to 
add some of those features to your website to make it really easy and then to make it easy for you to implement it. So you can drag and drop stuff, you know, on the front end of your website. So it's kind of a what you see is what you get, um, which is a, is a big improvement over what it was before, which is you'd have to go to your dashboard to update your page and then go back to the front end to see those changes uh, in real time. So that's kind of the example of some of the features we're rolling out um, in TechSite Builder. And we've got a bunch more that we're going to be rolling out here over the next uh, few months. So definitely uh, check that out. Head on over to techsitebuilder.com um, and sign up there. Uh, we have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can you know just try it out, see if it's for you. Uh, if not, um, no, no harm, no foul. Uh, but definitely just uh, give it a shot if you're looking to improve your website and you want a, a quick, easy, and effective way to do so. All right, guys, uh, let's jump into the featured topic. Featured topic today is with our guest, David Sims. We're going to be talking about compliance and uh, some, you know, we're just going to be talking about some of the best practices for how to market your compliance services and uh, and most of the stuff we're going to be talking about really is great marketing for any type of service. So definitely something to to check out, uh, no matter the type of services you offer. Uh, but first of all, welcome, Dave, uh, for being uh, a guest on the show. How you doing? Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. First of all, I love the background. <laughs> that's something that I complimented you <laughs> on earlier, and that's something that Paco and I need to up our game with. <laughs> we need to uh, figure out our background situation. Um, it's it's tough because you know I want I want a background that's interesting that's not you know just the white kind of boring institutional <laughs> background that I have now. At least y'all match. I mean, are you in the same room? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it does give that effect. That's true. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I already have some ideas. Like, um, we'll get with it. Yeah, all the prison walls look <laughs> yeah, the same. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, you didn't see the bars <laughs> coming at you from uh, correctional institution. <laughs> Ideal scene. Uh, yes. Um, so, uh, before we jump into the, uh, the compli compliance stuff, why don't you just kind of tell folks a little bit about, uh, your background and, um, how you got, it's a brick wall, um, you got <laughs> <laughs> your, your professional background, <laughs> how you got started in it and then what you led you in on the, uh, in the route that you are today. Let's see. Uh, I won't go back to high school since you said that's a little far, but, uh, I mean, I, I think I did kind of what a lot of people do is. You know, I'm doing IT work kind of on the side, and I'm thinking one day, hey, I'm pretty good at this stuff. I think I'll start a business. <laughs> and so, um, and it's kind of how I jumped into to it long ago. And we were doing uh, IT work for pretty much anybody who would walk in the door at a retail storefront. And then over the years, we've migrated away from doing residential. Uh, now we're a managed services provider. We only do commercial, and uh, since 2012, we really had a push toward healthcare and, and things that are compliance-related, trying to uh, come up with a, a way to differentiate ourselves in the market. Cool, and so that's going to kind of lead us into um, some of our discussions, is how did you differentiate yourself in the market um, and, and start taking on those clients? Uh, first, before we jump into that, the marketing side, just kind of wanted to, you know, as a as a basis of understanding and for those folks who might be listening in who who don't um who haven't had experience in compliance if you can just briefly kind of talk about what HIPAA is and then maybe touch on what some of the other uh areas of compliance that folks might be delving into out there okay sure so 
for HIPAA, I mean, it's a you know big monster legislation, so I won't get into all the details or specifics of it at all, not even scratch the surface of it. But, um, of course, you know, as the name implies, it has to do with health insurance portability. Uh, interesting thing is nobody remembers that part of it. <laughs> you know, when, when HIPAA first came around, it was all about people being able to take their insurance and move it, you know, from one employer to the other. But now we know it as this big monster legislation, which makes people have to do all these crazy privacy and security things to protect data. And so that's pretty much what HIPAA has become uh, when you think about it. And so the reason why we as IT people are now talking about this now, even though HIPAA has been around a long time, is because it really didn't apply to us until uh, 2013 when they had this thing called the omnibus rule that came out. And it pretty much started saying, hey, if you're a person that uh, touches that that uh, protected health information, then you're now going to have to abide by uh, some of the same compliance and security rules that we now want also the uh, healthcare industry uh, to abide by. So at that point, IT people were going, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've got to uh, abide by this thing called HIPAA and I don't really even know what it is and, and how to deal with it. And so um, that's kind of how I got involved in it. I actually had a client that, that handed me a thing one day and said, um, do you know anything about HIPAA? And I'm like, I know how to spell it. <laughs> and they say, well, you're going to have to, to uh, abide right. by this pretty soon. So you need to read up on it. And, and so of course, when I went to read up on it, it was, you know, I don't know, six or 700 pages of legalese. And I'm like, Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Um, but fortunately I was able to, to, you know, find a way to get through it. And, and in the process, since I couldn't find a way to uh, train myself or find training out there that was specific for IT people, uh, I decided to uh, build it. After I went through <laughs> all the hard work of figuring it all out, I, I built HIPAA for MSPs and, and uh, I've been doing that ever since, as well as my MSP work. Cool. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into the, uh, talk a little bit about the HIPAA for MSPs, because that's a cool um, you know, service that you got going that can help uh, other IT business owners um, you know, with that part of their business. Um, but, uh, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about, um, how, when you first got started with HIPAA and, you know, for folks listening, if, if you're interested in getting started with offering those types of services, um, how did you, how did you start marketing your business or, or maybe just finding the first initial, uh, few clients that you, you took on to, to see if that was something you wanted to do? Well, initially, you know, I went to my current client base because like a lot of MSPs, you already have people that are dealing with compliance or they're already dealing with HIPAA. And so it was a matter of us going in and going, okay, uh, now we pretty much understand uh, where you're coming from with HIPAA and we understand what you need. And so let's start talking about some of those things. And, and so that's how we initially got started. And then we also found in our uh, area that there was a group of uh, physicians that got together monthly um, and they do training because they have to have a certain amount of training every year that's documented to, to go toward their continuing education units. And so I came in and, and kind of partnered with them in a way um, so that I was able to kind of get in with the group. And, and of course, you can do things like uh, sponsor the meetings and stuff like that. But what I really wanted to do is, is volunteer. So I volunteered with the group so that I could come in and, you know, I set up the tables and, and help them you know, get the meetings ready and help them tear them down at the end. But the thing I had to get them to agree to was to let me just, just wear my shirt <laughs> that had my logo on it. And I told them I wouldn't talk 
IT or anything unless somebody came to me. But it, it was a good way to, to get me out there and get me in front of people, and, and they would let me put my business cards out and stuff like that. So the longer I was around and the more I did, the more things they kind of started letting me do, even though initially they said, you can't do that. They started letting me you know, have conversations proactively, and, and so that was a good way to, to get uh, the name out there and, and grow my email list as well as my client list. Cool, yeah. That's, I think that's a great, um, great way to get initially uh, set up in, in any business, really, in any niche, is to surround yourself with the, you know, the type of people who are going to be using that service and, uh, and really kind of just get yourself established in those circles any way you can. Um, so what are, uh, as you've been growing that, uh, side of your business, what are, what are some other, um, ways you found that are, that are good for, for marketing, uh, compliance as far as, um, avenues, whether it's, you know, social media or, um, uh, you know, cert PPC or, uh, what have you tried? What, what have you found worked as far as just like the, the type of advertising that works for, for that type of service? Well, I haven't tried the pay-per-click or, or some of these other more technology type marketing things, but, uh, what I have found and, you know, everybody will tell you that, you know, word of mouth is always the best and, and typically always the biggest, um, bang for your buck. So what I did is I went around and, and started trying to find vendors who also were going to these same people that I wanted to have as a client. And I would take these vendors out to lunch and try to develop a relationship with them so that when this vendor was maybe a, a drug rep and they're, and they're selling it into a doctor's office and then somebody mentioned something about IT or they noticed something IT related, that they could refer that person back to me. Um, that could be anything from you know a drug rep or an accountant that uh, does a lot of work for um, medical or dental fields, uh, lawyers, uh, I mean, even people that, you know, electricians, I mean, anybody that's coming into those same type of offices that are going to be selling services to, I try to develop a relationship with them so that it would give me a referral from somebody who's already a trusted vendor of theirs. Great. And then um, as far as, you know, once you do get the ear of these folks, how, um, what have you found is good as far as the messaging? Like, do you say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a HIPAA compliance guy or, or how do you kind of, you know, talk about those services, especially to people who, who don't question. know that it's important? <laughs> um, I, I think they do know that it's important. Sometimes they don't care uh, that it's important. Mm. You know, everybody has this thing that I, I, I think I'm going to get me a shirt or something maybe one day, but uh, it's called the it won't happen to me syndrome. Uh, it's a really huge epidemic. Um, I'm sure that most of you have come in contact with it <laughs> and seen it. So it's, you know, we run into that all the time where they know they should be doing something different. They know that they should be securing things better, but they will say things like, well, I don't have anything anybody would want anyway, so they're not going to try to hack me. Um, you know, they don't understand that there's not somebody that's actively trying to hack them. It's they're just throwing a wide net out there and seeing what they can catch. And if you're not smart enough, then they're going to get you. So um, I would say that some of the best things I have learned is that probably not what to say as much sometimes as what not to say. Mm. <laughs> but if you, what I found is if you go into a, a client and you start talking about compliance and HIPAA and all this kind of things, they're going to turn you off pretty quick because they've heard it for a long time. They've ignored it for a long time. And some of them still don't even really realize that HIPAA is no longer voluntary. Um, so they don't, react to it very well. It's sometimes not at all. So 
what they what they do react to a lot better that I have found is that when you start talking about privacy and security, you know, securing your data, securing your systems, uh, not only the systems but all, but also securing the employee element or securing the human, as we call it. So you're looking at how can we um, how can we train the employees and how can we talk to them in a certain way that gets them to be um, proactive in how they deal with things like phishing attacks and and links that they shouldn't be clicking on and all this kind of stuff. So it's a much different conversation, and we seem to get a lot more engagement from that versus coming at them with, uh, you're supposed to be doing this, and if you get audited, you're going to jail or getting fined or whatever. They pretty much understand that the chances of them getting just randomly audited are pretty slim, Um, and, and, and and that's the truth. It is slim, but the chances of them getting hacked or having a breach is is really high. It's I would say pretty close to 100. percent So um, that's what we found that works best. So that's a good point. Um, so two things on that. So one, um, there was a lot of discussion going on where they were saying that trying to get stats. So trying to frame that conversation to the small business mm-hmm. um, sometimes is difficult, and there's a different ways to frame that conversation. Um, and one of them that they were stating was if there was some type of stat on how many small businesses actually get hacked or breached versus the bigger names like the targets the the home depots etc mm-hmm. and what it came to find out um one of the one of the guys that were talking at channel pro yesterday on this very subject was a lot of small businesses being that they're privately owned don't reveal that information mm-hmm. so it's hard to gain the real number on how many this is really happening to prove to small businesses that stay that say, well, I don't, I never heard of a small business really getting hacked or it's not that wide of a spread of an epidemic that you're kind of explaining, you know, things like that, which goes into my question. Um, you know, does a lot of people like I was hearing yesterday was make sure to do a lot of fear mongering tactics, like make sure that to put the fear in them to understand that this is what's going on so that they can take action. Have you found that that type of tactic works a lot easier slash better, or should that be framed in a different way that maybe empowers the end user to be able, maybe to take action? Well, personally, I have not found that to be effective, uh, and I think one of the reasons why it's not is because it's been overused in, in that particular market. So, you know, if you if you kept telling somebody, you know, if you every time you walk out the door, there's a chance you're going to get shot, you know, and they over the course of ten years they're walking out the door and not getting shot. You know, you kind of don't really have a, a point anymore. Even though they could walk out the door and get shot, it still could happen. Right. But you know, they, and that's kind of the way it is within that particular vertical. Now, I'm not speaking for some of the other verticals, but what I have found is that a lot of times, if you can give them some information, not necessarily statistics, but when you see something that has happened, especially if it's local, send them that news story or send them the information where you're maybe a, a small office got hacked or had a breach or uh, OCR had a settlement of, you know, um, a couple hundred thousand dollars because somebody had a laptop stolen out of the car. When you send them those things, to me, it it weighs a lot heavier than saying 80% of businesses do this and 60% of businesses do that Uh, because it goes back to that. It won't happen to me thing. (laughs) Right. Um, Whereas if it's you know, somebody that's a small business and they're reading about a small business that something happened to, it puts a face on it and it really changes the, the dynamic of how they're 
reading the material and responding to it. Yeah, I um, agree. Because, and, oh, so go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think you're right. And I think what you hit, you really hit it where, you know, even if you have own, your own personal stories, like um, I've had friend, colleagues that are in the IT field that have had their clients breached and they've been able to make an easier claim to whatever services needed to be sold, whatever needs to be taken care of or audited and to be brought up to compliance because they can personally say that that's what happened because that's one of their clients that it it happened to them so they could speak as an extension of themselves and the conversation just flows a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And I've also found that the the people who are scared, um, they're already scared. So fear mongering is not something you even have to do. Uh, the people that aren't scared, typically just fear mongering is not going to help. They're, they're just, they're going to stand their ground. Uh, they're not going to really do much. I mean, I, I've seen some, some, Potential clients, I didn't. They never became clients, but they—they they were potential clients that I talked to, and, and they had a mess, an absolute mess. Not just IT, but compliance and everything. If anybody would have walked in the door and audited them, uh, I mean, the fines would have been massive. But when you, even when you bring that up to them, it's not—they're not interested. Even though, and the funny thing is that they're doctors, which you know, you think being a medical practice when you start talking about you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's the same thing that they preach, we're just doing it from an IT standpoint, but they don't want to hear it from us. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of them will just basically say, well, I'd rather pay the fine than actually being up to compliance because being up to compliance may cost even more than paying the fine that they get hit from my understanding as well. Uh, actually, uh, doing the compliance work is a lot cheaper than the fine. Well, that's the rationale as far as what they're thinking is what oh, yeah, i yeah. argument. Yeah. Yeah, and, and see, another thing they don't realize, and, and I do this sometimes in my email marketing, where I show that, you know, if you have a breach, let's say you have a breach and you report it, because here's one thing that people have to remember is that reporting your breaches is on the honor system. Which is, so they have to be, you know, they have to say, oh, we had a breach, we need to report it, and they have to do it. So there's there's not some way that, you know, bells and whistles go off in, in OCR and HHS when the, a breach happens. So, but anyway... So let's say they report a breach, and, and it's even if it's a small one, let's say it cost them uh, $150,000 for a fine, which is actually pretty small for a HIPAA fine. And then let's say that the OCR puts on what's called a, a three-year cap or a corrective action plan. So what they're saying is for three years, you're going to have to follow this corrective action plan, and we're going to be on your back the entire time making sure you don't screw up. Imagine the uh, amount of money that's going to cost them over that three-year period versus that initial $150,000 fine. Not to mention the damage to your business, not to mention how much it's going to cost to notify all the people that were involved in the breach, not to mention the one-year credit monitoring you're going to have to do, and all these other things. So, you know, after a while, you know, the numbers start piling up. And then, you know, you, you hear about these $1.5 million settlements. That's a small portion of what it's going to end up costing them in the long run. Gotcha. And then one thing that I also found out as well is in the state of Illinois, not only do you have to let the boards know for the HIPAA compliance, but you also have to let the, the state attorney general know as well. Yep. And that's a whole nother bag of cats that you have to kind of go through on that point as well. Yep, you're right. And that's something that's starting to happen more and more in other states. So what can happen is when you have something like that, you could have the state attorney general come in and start doing a, another investigation. And in some cases, it becomes a criminal investigation. And so maybe maybe not fear-mongering, but at least you know, 
uh, informing your clients that these this this can happen and this this is what would happen if you know you are found to be in violation and and these this is you know the detriment that it could cause to your business so not necessarily saying you know oh you know there's it's going to hit you and it's it's going to suck and it's going to happen but you know this is what could happen and we're just informing you and and this is this part of our content marketing and just letting you know i'll tell you one one thing i did for uh i had a client that's a physical therapist and they were like most clients you know they did is you know a little bit they didn't do a lot they did just a little bit and and it was hard for me to get them to kind of go to the next step you know come on we need to get you a little bit more compliant you know we need to have a path here you don't have to be compliant the first day I walk in, but we need to have a plan to get you there. And so they kept kind of dragging their heels. And every time I saw anything in the news that came out about a physical therapy practice anywhere in the United States, whether it was hacking or stolen laptop or an employee did something crazy, anything I could find, every time I found it, I just forwarded them the link to that article. And after about three or four of those articles, they called me and said, all right, we got to do something now. <laughs> and it was because... You know, no longer could they say this won't happen to me because they were seeing pretty much the same type of practice they were in, the same size and everything, having those problems. And so, you know, when you talk about, you know, the, the hospital systems having a breach and all that, that's not the same because you're not dealing with the same size of the company and all that. So, you know, when you put it in their backyard like that, it makes a lot, uh, makes it stick a lot more. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So... How are things going at uh, HIPAA for MSPs? What's uh, what's new over there? Uh, what's new? Um, hmm. Well, the good thing about compliance is it doesn't change a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, but there are there are changes that do come out. And uh, just recently got back from what's called the uh, HIMS conference, HIMS seventeen conference. Um, I should know what the acronym is, but it escapes me at the moment. But it's. Uh, <laughs> Health information management. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so we just got back from this huge conference, and um, there was a lot of uh, talk about some of the changes that are coming down this year, next year. Of course, you know that was we had the big change in the White House, so everybody was kind of looking at: is there anything going to come out of that? And you know, the funny thing is, a lot of people were saying that, you know, oh, if if Trump gets elected, we're, they're going to repeal HIPAA, or if um, Clinton gets elected, she's going to repeal HIPAA, which was hilarious because it's not going to happen no matter who gets elected. But, um, you know, one of the things they did want to look at is once they start replacing these people in these key positions, you know, are the audit, are the audits going to continue? Are they going to get heavier? Are they going to get less? And so far what we've seen is they've actually uh, started ramping them up even more. So, um, that's one thing that people wanted to know was about the audits. So a lot of what we do with HIPAA for MSPs outside of the training aspect of it is keeping up with all these things that are going on all the time. Uh, when they have settlements that come out, you know, we had three different settlements came out last month. So we, we study those settlements, we dissect them, we find out what happened, what went wrong, how did it happen. And, and of course, most of these are, are people that we would consider our clients. But they are now starting to, we're now starting to see some IT-related things come out. And uh, we haven't had a, a strictly an MSP yet, but we have had some IT related things that have happened where an IT company of sorts has, uh, has violated HIPAA or done something that has caused a client to violate HIPAA and, and they've been fined for it. Mm. So that's, you know, something that definitely starts ringing bells with the IT community. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if, if, uh, 
if that just rung someone's bell, how could they find out more information about HIPAA for MSPs? Uh, well, we have this website, this crazy name is HIPAA for MSPs.com. So, <laughs> <Who'd have thought? laughs> but uh, yeah, just go to HIPAA for MSPs.com and uh, we have, um, of course, it's not probably not as good as MailChimp, but we do have a free uh, tier there <laughs> that you can sign up for. And then we have some paid ones depending on the level of interest and everything. And, you know, there again, we don't do the fear mongering, even though I could say, hey, if you're an IT company and you're dealing with HIPAA compliance and you're not doing things right, then they can come after you and find you just like they can your clients. As true as it may be, we don't say it too much. <laughs> right, you don't beat them over the head. No, right? no, we don't, yeah. Yep. But um, so I see in the Facebook chat here that John Reed asked a question about do they do random audits? Um, and the answer to that is yes, they do do random audits, although most of the audits they do are due to a, a breach notification or things like that. They they have to do audits when there's uh, certain levels of breaches, uh, but they do do random audits. They do do. Is that right? <laughs> they, they do random audits. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this year was the first year they did random audits on what's called business associates and not just covered entities. So if you're not aware of what that is, a covered entity uh, in general would be the, the people that are your clients. They're the ones that have the protected health information. They're the, the doctor's offices and the hospitals and all that. The business associates are those like IT vendors who are doing the work with those people who uh, maintain those systems that have the protected inf health information, or maybe you're doing the backups on the data, um, things like that. So you have to either create it, maintain it, uh, transfer it, something like that. And in most cases, if you're an IT vendor, you have direct access to that data or the systems that house that data. And so that makes you a business associate by definition. And so the liability falls on our head. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, all good stuff to know. And, and you can get all that and more in the community and the, the info that's there at HIPAA for MSPs. Uh, and also you have the uh, podcast. What's the podcast? Podcast is helpmewithhipaa.com. And the podcast is, uh, it's related to HIPAA for MSPs, but it's also a little different in that we don't talk uh, a lot of IT stuff. And the podcast is really more, overall for any uh, compliance officer. So whether you're a compliance officer in an IT company or you're a compliance officer in a, uh, a family practice, uh, we, try to, we try to just cover everything. And the cool thing about it is, here's your free marketing tip. Um, if you want information to send to your clients, then sending them our links to our podcast is a good way to get them to listen and understand what you're trying to tell them. Uh, because mm -hmm. we do cover all these things and we do talk about the breaches and we talk about the fines and all this other kind of stuff. So if, if you want something that backs up what you're trying to tell them, it's a great marketing tool just to send them that podcast every Friday and, and give them listen to it. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for, for the great information today. Um, a lot of good stuff to chew on, a lot of good resources to check out if folks haven't checked those out yet. Um, thanks for being on the second episode of the Computer Business Marketing Show. Yes. Um, you're, you're our uh, uh, inaugural guest or first guest, whatever the word is for that. Um, so we appreciate uh, that and we appreciate the cool background that's going to get us to, uh, to up our game it's, it's, in, in that it's department. the bar for us to uh, get to. Yeah. You shouldn't let uh, guests have a better background than you. I know, I know. It's just so embarrassing. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, we're going to jump into the marketing tip of the week in just a sec. But before we do that, going to give a shout out to our second sponsor, 
which uh, the sponsor is actually tied with our guest. Uh, it's the uh, Unconvention, the DC Unconvention 2017. So this is the uh, convention this year that you need to go to if you are an IT services business and uh, you are looking to network with your peers, uh, like-minded folks, and really just have a very interactive type of event where you can come and talk with business owners, everyone who's speaking at this event. There's no marketing gurus or motivational speakers or folks who, who don't know what we're going through. All of the speakers and all of the facilitators at this event are uh, computer business owners just like you. They're folks who have uh, focused on different niches or have had successes in different places. They're going to be there uh, to talk about their experiences. Uh, we're going to have all of the podcasters that you know and love, like uh, myself and um, the Mike Tech, or I'm sorry, Mike Smith from the Mike Tech Show. Um, some of the folks from the Podnuts Network are going to be there. Um, we're also going to have hands-on labs where you can get kind of your hands dirty with demos of different technology. Uh, we're going to have breakout groups where we talk about things like marketing um, and uh, and th those sorts of things. So you can really, it's really just all about interaction and networking. Um, another cool thing is all of our sponsors of the uh, Unconvention are also going to be present and they're going to be available to talk to you about their products. So right now, um, our big sponsor is uh, Malwarebytes. So they're going to have uh, the reps there for Malwarebytes to to talk to you about their product. You can ask them questions. You can you know um, ask them some of the stuff that you haven't been able to get a straight answer from from support. You know that kind of thing. Um, they're also going to be there to give you some hands-on demo of the product, um, and they're going to be there the whole weekend. So it's going to be a very cool uh, kind of uh, way to. Mix it up with folks, and and our own David Sims is going to be there. He's going to be heading up uh, one of the uh, one of the work groups and one of the labs. Um, and so we're gonna we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what those are going to be about. But you know we have him there to speak on compliance and to speak on marketing. Um, David's doing a lot of exciting things around video marketing and, and that sort of stuff. So he's going to be on hand to to answer your questions and to facilitate those things. Uh, so we're really excited about it. It is, uh, let's see here, let me bring up the info. It is uh, September 16th and 17th. Um, tickets are still available. So head on over to unconvention.io. Uh, we we're limiting it to the first 100 people. So uh, we definitely don't want this to be a huge thing. Uh, the place that we're having this at uh, is a co-working space and it's, you know, it only has capacity for so many people. So we want to make sure that we uh, have a comfortable a group there. Um, so we're, we're limiting the tickets at 100. So definitely get there and get your tickets soon. If you're planning on coming, uh, if you're on the East coast, you know, definitely hope to see you there. It's, it's only really a short drive or train ride away. Um, uh, and, uh, we'd love to see you there again. So that is the unconvention. It's being hosted by instant house call and tech site builder. And, uh, again, we'd love to see you there in September. All right. So the computer business marketing tip of the week for this episode is uh, something that Paco has for us. What do you have? Yep. So um, from a lot of talks and just basically from everything kind of going from the last couple of weeks, a bit very big important is to review your online positioning. So what does that mean? It means basically to verify that all the things that you've signed up with when you first started with your business or new services as you've gone along, such as the Yelp pages, Google My Business, um, and even other sites that you may not be aware of that are basically uh, mining that data from other sources are very big pieces to help drive 
traffic to your website with SEO and the backlinks to it. Um, so you want to make sure that you verify all of it is the same. It's correct. And there's nothing that is outdated. Now, the easiest way to do this um, that I've found is going to the site moz.com, M-O-Z.com, and clicking on the second button that says, get your free listing score. Um, now, I personally don't pay much attention to the score myself, but with the results, it actually tells you it'll match up your business on who they believe if you know to match if that is yours that you currently have. And then once you click on that business to select the listings that it tried to match, it has a very good interactive uh, way of determining which listings are basically mismatching, missing information, or more categories, more photos, or something that could improve that profile to help get your uh, presence online better noticed. So um, that would be a very big thing, especially for everyone that is really paying a lot of money for online advertising. This is a big piece to really make sure that all of your online positioning or position on online is the same. It all is correct and basically is you know going to be uniform as you move forward. And this is important for SEO also, um, uh, especially for local SEO because uh, you know all of the different uh, places that are pointing links back to your website, you know the the local listing services and the directories and stuff, they probably scra- a lot of them they scrape your info from from different places like Facebook or Google or LinkedIn or wherever they can find your info and you want to make sure that the that info is is all the same uh because otherwise in in SEO terms when search engines are looking at different uh, links they might think that that link coming from that one directory is for a different business because either the name is slightly different or the address is slightly different or the phone number is different um, so to help your SEO, you want to make sure that your address and your local info and your business name and all that stuff are consistent across all the listings online. Yeah, especially if you had you, if you had multiple locations and you've kind of narrowed it all down to one. Um, like perfect example, I at one point had four offices. Now I'm only down to one. So this really helped me find all those ones that uh, listings that had all my old offices addresses. And basically remove them, uh, merge these listings over. I think somehow, some way, my I had like three, four Facebook pages that someone checked in on some of these offices that I went ahead and claimed and deleted to avoid that duplicate um, incorrect information. So in case someone did happen to go over to one of those sites, it wasn't there. Cool, cool, great stuff. So yeah, definitely um, have that in the back of your mind and and take a look at that. Great tip. All right, guys, um, before we head out, uh, one thing I forgot to mention was for the uh, unconvention, we do have a discount code. So if you, uh, Tech Site Builder has a discount code. If you want to get tickets for the unconvention at a discount, you can get $40 off the tickets by using the code TSB at checkout. Um, again, the code is TSB, stands for Tech Site Builder, and uh, you can use that at checkout for 40 bucks off your unconvention tickets. So again, we hope to see you at the unconvention. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Computer Business Marketing Show. Head on over to computerbusinessmarketing.com and let us know what you think in the comments section below the show notes or be sure to watch us live on Facebook and you can ask questions there and we can answer them live on the show. Also, don't forget you can send questions and feedback to mail at techsitebuilder.com. 
And that's where we will um, take your emails that you want to be read on the show and we'll read them on the show and answer them for you. Yep. And if you guys listen to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, be sure to give us a shout out and leave a review. We love to hear your feedback and every comment helps so that the podcast can be found by others out there. And finally, don't forget to check out our sponsors, the DC Unconvention and Tech Site Builder. Thank you for checking out the Computer Business Marketing Show. This is Matthew Rodella. And this is Paco LeBron. Saying here's to your success. Your success.